Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone on the East Coast and also the Central Coast of the United States. And for those on the West Coast, good morning. My name is Kennard Brown, your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. I apologize for starting late. I had difficulty dialing in to Blog Talk Radio. Uh, that's the reason why um, I'm late here, and I what I did, I just uh, disconnected the or canceled the show, and then I was able to call back in. So I apologize on behalf of Blog Talk Radio for uh, these technical issues. Anyway, before we get into what is the Passover, we need to understand what the Holy Days of God is, and I'm going to summarize this. Uh, I have 50 minutes here instead of 60 minutes, so I'm going to go a little quick here. And the Holy Days of God, we turn to Leviticus chapter 23. I know the Jews uh, traditionally and mistakenly state that these are the feasts of the Jews or the feasts of Israel. Uh, they are not. Uh, when you read this in the, the, the uh, boy, what is the matter with me? Let me drink some water here. I'll be right back. When we, that's better. When we read Leviticus chapter 23, notice that God states that these are his feasts. So in Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 1, And the Lord spoke unto Moshe, or Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say it to them, concerning the feast of the Lord. So it's not the feast of the Jews of Israel, it's the feast of the Lord. These are the feasts that Almighty God wants everyone to observe, not just the Jews. Which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations or assemblies. Even these are my feasts. So you should understand that God's word, what is in the King James Version, some other version, and it should state there that these are his feasts and his feasts alone for all of mankind to celebrate and observe, not just the Jews. Anyway, verse 3. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is Shabbat of rest, a holy assembly. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So wherever you go, Wherever you are around the world, you should keep this day. Verse 4, these are the feasts of the Lord, even holy assemblies, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. God wants us to fellowship. He wants us to be together. And unfortunately, because of wickedness in the world today, I understand that people who are true believers can't get with people who are um, true believers. But there's a way around that. If they're are people that are listening to me right now that want to fellowship. Uh, it's possible to do that through Skype. Um, and if you have a video cam or digital camera, we could fellowship. So technology has made that very possible today where uh, true believers, and I mean by true believers, people who believe in the Old Testament and New Testament and they believe everything in it, Those, that's what is considered a believer as far as the Bible is concerned. If you are that, that that type of individual and you wish to fellowship, please let me know. Email me at canard at mercifulservantsofgod.com so that we can get together in fellowship uh, online. And if you are in the Ohio area, maybe we could work something out. But anyway, just wanted to mention that because he does stress in Leviticus chapter three, 23 the importance of fellowshipping. And, and it's very important that you understand that, and that's how that's how we grow too, 
when we fellowship together as a group and worship God together. And that's one of the purposes of the Holy Days as well, uh, to fellowship. In Hebrews 10, verse 25, it states, not forsaking the assembly or convocation of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So whenever we uh, come together on these holy days, is prophetic. And it's a prophetic, as Mr. Michael Rue likes to say, uh, a shadow picture of things to come. And, and that is exactly what these holy days are. Let's turn to uh, Colossians chapter 2. is one of the most uh, misunderstood scriptures of all time. Uh, it says in Colossians 2, verse uh, 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat. Now notice, it's not telling you not to observe the holy days. It's telling you don't let anyone judge you or criticize on how you observe it. In meat, which is applying to, of course, the the uh, the laws of unclean and clean meats that's listed in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or the new moon, or the Shabbat, which are a shadow of things to come. All right, and that word shadow, when you look that word shadow up, it, it means a type, a, a preview, a model of things to come. So that that's something that that you have to understand. God's holy days, to simplify, picture what's going to happen in the future and what has happened in the past and what will happen in the future. So that's what it pictures. So... And this particular scripture here in Colossians does not say that you shouldn't, uh, um, people take that, the eisegesis or put their own thoughts into the scripture in verse 16, so let no man therefore judge you. Oh, that means that we don't have to obey the holy days. That doesn't say that. It does not, let no man therefore judge you does not say that, uh, that you don't have to observe the holy days. It doesn't say that. Verse 17, it says, which are a shadow or an image of things to come. But the body is of Christ, and that word is was added. So that word, this whole sentence should be, but the body of Christ. So, so don't let anyone evaluate how you keep the days other than the, the church of God, the assembly of God, which is the, the structure set up in the church, the, the deacons and elders and so forth. They are to, to uh, evaluate how you're doing it and to correct you if you're not doing it properly. So that, that's what that means, basically. Now, go back to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, and let's go over the feast, and then we're going to go over the first one, which is Passover, and we're going to go through each and every one of them, and then even some that, uh, like uh, Purim, and also, um, I'm trying to think of the other one here, um, the Festival of Lights, all right, Hanukkah. We're going to go over those as well, because uh, Jesus, it appears, kept both of those, because he did keep the traditions that did not... Um, take away from the law of God. All right, so anyway, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy assemblies, which you shall proclaim in their seasons, or when they occur. Verse 5. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover, and that's coming up soon, according to the calendar that I go by, the Karite calendar, which the Karites are Jews. Uh, Passover happens uh, sunset March 31st. So from March 31st to April 1st at evening, or in the evening, uh, we will be celebrating uh, the first day of unleavened bread. The Passover, uh, as far as the day, is on March 31st. And traditionally, in Jewish history, um, the day before the first day of unleavened bread, sacrifices were brought to the altar, the Temple Mount, where it's located in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, and they were... A sacrifice, uh, hundreds of thousands of lambs were sacrificed by people. They were giving it to the priests, and they would sacrifice them and so forth and give them the, uh, the, the parts of the Passover that they can have for the Passover meal. That was done on a consistent basis uh, uh, before uh, A.D. 70 with the destruction of the temple in history by the Romans. And so that was done on a consistent basis. And... The, the Passover is, as I was trying to explain, is observed 
I feel correctly, based on the biblical calendar. Uh, the Jews have a calendar, and it's based on calculations. They will be keeping the Passover on the 29th of March this year. So it's like uh, a couple of days off. But a more accurate calendar, the Karite calendar, uh, everyone will be keeping those who follow that calendar. I followed and a few other believers followed, and then all the Karites followed. They will be keeping it correctly based on the new moon observance on uh, March 31st. And as I was trying to state, based on a quote by Josephus, if you, if you take a look at that, the sacrifices began at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the day of Passover, and they ended uh, right around at sundown. Okay, they sacrificed continuously there, and then they had the meal at sundown, right before the sunset. And that's what we're going to do as a family is do that on March 31st. And then uh, as soon as the sunset begins the, the first day of unleavened bread, we're going to go over that next week. And that is kept like a Shabbat, basically, like a Sabbath. You don't work there. So on that day. So anyway, verse 5 says, In the 14th day of the first month at even, or at the, in the evening, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. All right? So in the first day you shall have a holy congregation. You shall do no servile work there. And so I'm going to go over each of these holy days. Right now we're going to go over the Passover, and then I'm, every week I'm going to go over the section where we're going to focus on the, um, the particular feast or holy day that the Bible study is on. So right now let's focus on the Passover. Let's focus on the Passover and understand this is one of the feasts that God commands that we observe. So, what is the Passover? And why should we observe it? And did Christ observe it? And if he did, should we? First, let's turn to a passage of Scripture that if the Holy Spirit is working with you and if you desire to know the truth, you would understand that this does represent and symbolizes the sacrifice of Yeshua Messiah. Uh, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Starting in verse 1. And it, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham or Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son, thy only son, Isaac, whom you love, and get thee into the land of Moriah. That's where the Temple Mount is located today, ladies and gentlemen. And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. Verse 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clayed the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. My son, and he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for burnt offering? So that's a pretty good question there that he's asking. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place which God had told them, well, let me look this uh, word up here. And this is pretty interesting here. I know one of the translations said this is a goat. Genesis chapter 22, and verse 7. Okay, it says a sheep. It can mean a sheep, a lamb, or a goat. So it can mean that. All right, anyway. Let me look and see what the Jewish, yeah, it says it's a lamb. So there's no doubt that this was, uh, even in the Jewish version, it says that it is a lamb. 
Yep. Okay. All right, so let's go back here. Verse 9, in which they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, and see that thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram. This was a ram, not a lamb. Let me verify this. But I said that last week. I uh, apologize. It is a ram that God gave him as a substitute. And this is one of the excuses that the Jews state to say, hey, this has got nothing to do with uh, Yeshua, Messiah, or Jesus Christ. But Rashi had confirmed that this offering was symbolic of Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, that uh, Isaacs did atone, did atone, okay? So even the great Rabbi Rashi admits that this is an atonement act, and I know many Jews incorrectly teach that uh, a man can't atone for the sins of another man, uh, but that is disproven in the Bible. There's one case in Numbers where the high priest, if uh, you had accidentally murdered someone, you had to flee and get out of the land. And the only way you can come back is if the high priest died. And when the high priest died, his death atoned you to come back. So, and that's a, and, 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 and the real interesting thing about that, this is the high priest who Yeshua Messiah uh, claims to be, and he is. He is the high priest. So you, know, you have to read your Bible, ladies and gentlemen, again, over and over again, to understand the truth. The truth is the Bible. In Psalm 119, verse 142 says the teachings of God and the Torah is the the truth of God. And then, of course, Yeshua, and then backed up by Deuteronomy, states that you should live by every word of God. That's in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. So it's very important to do that. And don't listen to men unless they know what they're talking about. And the only way you can know what they're talking about is if you confirm what they're saying in the Bible. Anyway, Genesis chapter 22 so verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in, in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it to say to this day, in the mountain of the Lord it shall be seen. So that's kind of prophetic there. The Lord will provide or see provided. And he did. He provided his son to atone for all of mankind. And Jews may frown on that, but that is the truth. And nothing but truth, so help me God. And there's no other person that qualifies to be the Messiah when you take a look at that. And I am preparing in a way that I don't think too many believers have to be able to write uh, a clear, concise, uh, maybe a book, but I know it'll be an article that will prove, without any doubts whatsoever, using the scriptures in secular history and biblical history, that Yeshua Messiah has to be the Messiah. And this can be read by Jews, Gentiles, whoever. And it will prove, without a shadow of a doubt, that Yeshua Messiah has to be the Messiah. And one of the things that I've learned in my 44 years of life is it appears that what you think may not be is, and what you think is, is not. Remember that, because <laughs> uh, even preaching the message that I preach, the truth out of the Bible, it's prophesied to people that do that. Most people aren't going to listen to them. In Ezekiel chapter 3, God tells them that, that, that most people, let's turn there, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, and then people today, even that know me, they expect a lot of people to be attracted to what I'm preaching. Well, not not according to God. He told Ezekiel was so a whole lot more holier than me, and uh, he was a priest. And in Ezekiel chapter two, starting at verse one, he said unto me, "Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I was speaking to thee." And the Spirit entered unto me when he spake, spoke unto me, and he set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. 
And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel. Now listen to, to how God describes us today. And, and I've proven over and over again that we are a part of Israel. And if you don't believe that, go to www.britam.org. Look at your Davidi's uh, materials. I suggest you get his books and, and refer to them or read them online. But he proves that the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, South Africa, New Zealand, Austria, Canada, are a part of Israel. So Israel is not just the Jews. They're just one tribe of, uh, of Israel. That's listed in Genesis chapter 49. They're the tribe of Judah. When you understand, the United States and Britain are part of Ephraim and Manasseh, part of Joseph, because Joseph was the most blessed out of all uh, the uh, individual sons of, of Israel. And when you read in Genesis chapter 49. So anyway, the call of Ezekiel, and, and, and verse, he says that the children of Israel is a rebellious nation that have rebelled against me, they and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day, which is a prophecy. Verse 4, it said, They are impudent children and stiff-hearted. They're stiff-faced and hard-hearted sons. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus says the Lord. And he did. And whoever preaches Ezekiel's message is saying, Thus says the Lord, because they're just getting it out of the Bible. Verse 5, And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house. Yet shall know that there have been a prophet among them. They'll know there's a prophet, not because I'm a prophet, but because I'm preaching out of the Bible, and they'll know that Ezekiel was a prophet. That's what this is referring to there. Verse 6, And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are, mo are most rebellious. I mean, he repeats this thing over and over again, how rebellious we are. Verse 8, But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and, and eat that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein, and he spread it before me, and was written, Within and without, and there were written their lamentations, mournings, and woe. And this is similar to what um, he told John. He told John to do the same thing and and to and to speak and to prophesy unto the nations. And then in uh, chapter three, verse seven, he says, "But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee." So he already knows that <laughs> that. Israel, the majority of people that, that are considered Israel, are so hard-headed that they won't listen. They won't listen to the truth. In verse 7, But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. So he says, Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. So, so people that preach the true message of God have to be strong and kind of forceful. Verse 9, As an adamant harder then flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. So, you know, again, you have to understand the true message of God, most people are not going to receive it. Most people are not going to receive what I'm going to talk about today, about the Passover and about the other things I will talk about. And But he still commands me and other people that believe in the Ezekiel message that God gave him to preach it. So, And that's what I'm doing. So anyway, Second Chronicles chapter three, verse one. Second Chronicles chapter three, verse one. Second Chronicles chapter three, verse one. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. That's where the temple of God is located today, the Temple Mount where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So the reason why I'm quoting this is because Mount Moriah is linked to Abraham and is also linked to Solomon and the temple. So that's the reason why I quoted that. Now, let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. And this is a description of the Passover here. Exodus chapter 12 starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moshe and Aaron 
in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. So this month began uh, toward the little latter half of the middle of uh, March this year, according to uh, the new moon observance and uh, the Aviv barley. And I know probably what I'm telling you, you don't understand what I'm talking about. Uh, what I suggest you do is uh, type in Michael Root on Google, and he has a lot of information on the true biblical calendar that we should be observing based on new moon observance. Uh, I don't have the time to go over that today, but maybe in a future broadcast I'll go over the calendar, how to observe the calendar, and the reason why the biblical calendar, new moon observance, is more accurate than the Jewish calendar, etc. But right now, uh, verse 2, it's just important to understand that we are in the, the, the beginning of the year. Now, New Year begins uh, around Passover time, in the springtime, not in the fall. Anyway, as far as secular or as far as religious observance is concerned, Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 2, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the lamb be too little for the, and if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next into the house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out. Now, keep in mind the lamb should be without blemish. In other words perfect, and Yeshua was perfect as a human being. So, verse 6, And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, at evening. Verse 7, And they shall take of the blood and strike it on, on the two side posts, on the upper door posts of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with the legs and with the, um, what is this word, uh, entrails therein. Verse 10, And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. Thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, what does Passover mean? Well, this, the Bible tells you. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And there's a reason why it's called Passover, because Passover in its Hebraic meaning means protection, for you to be protected. And what the blood symbolizes, of course, is, is Yeshua's blood atoning for us, but Atonement also involves protection, and that's what happened back then. Because they uh, put the blood on, on the doorpost, that symbolizes Yeshua protecting us and atoning for us through his sacrifice. And that's what the Passover lamb uh, uh, represents. I know many Jews listening to me may not think that's so, but that's the truth when you, when you look at all the other uh, scriptures, not just in the Tanakh, but also in the uh, New Testament or the Apostolic Scriptures. So anyway, verse 13, And the blood shall be to you a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see it, verse 13, should be a sign upon the houses where you are, and when I see the sign, I will pass over you. So that's what Passover means. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast. So the Passover, some people say it's not a feast. Well, God says that it is a feast, so I'm going to pay attention to what God says. It says, it's a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an ordinance forever. It's not a Shabbat or a Sabbath where you don't work, but it's a feast. And it happens before the first day of unleavened bread. Verse 15. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And the first day shall be a holy convocation, and the seventh day 
there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which man must eat, that only may be done of you. So the first and last day of unleavened bread is linked with the Passover. But let's focus on the Passover here. Verse 18, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until one, and the 21st day of the month at even. All right, so, in verse 21, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood upon the lintel, on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door, and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass, when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, according to as he has promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass, when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye be the service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the house of the children of Egypt, the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed their head in worship, and the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. All right, so I think you know the rest of the story. And I just wanted to point out here in verse 49, it states, One law shall be to him that is home-born and to the stranger that sojourn among you. So I just want to stress the fact that this law is not just for the Jews, it's for everybody and will be observed by everyone uh, in the future. And if you read the rest of this, it goes into detail about what happened and, and so forth. So um, in Deuteronomy chapter, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Twenty minutes left here. I have to hurry it up here. Deuteronomy chapter sixteen, starting at verse one, says, "Observe the month of Abib, which means that you have to to do something with your eyes to to be able to tell when the month of Abib occurs, which alludes to uh, the little uh, sliver sliver of the new moon. When you see that, and then when that occurs, and the next day is the new moon day." And that's something that Michael Rue, in an excellent way, covers. Uh, if you just go, you can type really in Google Michael Rue biblical calendar, and you'll be able to observe a whole series on the calendar on how we should keep God's holy days based on that calendar. Anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 1, Observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of the Egypt by night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock and the herd in the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. Thou shalt eat no leavened bread with it. And let me explain what that is. Leavening is any yeast products that you have. Any yeast products or anything that causes flour to rise, you need to get rid of. So to prepare for the Passover, you need to get rid of all that. That means bread products any other products that will cause anything to rise. And then you must eat matzos and bitter herbs. And if you need more information about that, go to Michael Rue's website, or you can email me if you want to keep the Passover um, March 31st and, and keep the, the Days of Unleavened Bread. Let me know. Email me at canard at mercifulservantsofgod.com. Anyway, verse 2, Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock and the herd, and the place where the Lord shall choose a place his name there. Thou shalt eat no... Leavened bread with it, seven days thou eat unleavened bread, therefore even the bread of affliction. For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that thou mayest remember the day when thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. And there shall be no leavened bread seen with thee in all thy coast seven days, neither shall there anything in the flesh which thou sacrifices in the first day at even, remaineth all night into the morning. Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, but at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name, and his name right now is in Jerusalem, thou, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at evening, at the going down of the sun, just when the sun is getting ready to go down, at the season that thou camest, or at the time that thou camest forth out of Egypt. And thou shalt roast and eat it in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, and you shall turn in the morning, and go into thy tent. Six days shalt thou eat unleavened bread, 
and on the seventh day it should be a solemn assembly. So we'll talk about the, the, the days of unleavened bread next week. But getting back to the Passover, so that's how you observe it. And Numbers 9, verse 1 to 14, Joshua 5, verses 10 to 12, 2 Chronicles chapter 30, 2 Kings 23, verses 21 to 23, Ezra chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, gives you biblical proof that the Passover was celebrated. Um, um, uh, well, I wouldn't say consistently because Israel sinned quite a bit, but those are the times when they repented and, and, and started to observe the Passover. So I just wanted to point that out. And in John 11, verse 55. John 11, verse 55. States this. It says, And the Jews' Passover was nigh in hand, and many went out of the country up to the Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Now, the question is, did Jesus keep the Passover? Well, yes, he did. Let's turn to Luke. Luke. Um, it's in Luke chapter 3. Oh, it's in Luke chapter 2. Uh, let me see if I can find this somewhere. I know it's in Luke somewhere. Uh, Passover. So I have my little trusty biblical program. I don't remember certain scriptures. Okay. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So Jesus kept the Passover. He did keep the Passover. And remember the scripture where it says in John and people who claim they, they follow Christ? In John, First uh, John, it states this. First John chapter 2, verse 6, he says, he that says he abides in him himself also to walk, even as he also walked. And then in John 14, verse 6, it states that he's the way, the life, and the truth. So he's our example, so we should do the things that he did. And then for people who think the law has been done away with, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, it states, Think not, and people think so, but he commands you, think not that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, or to complete, or to help you understand the law better in its true intent. And in verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass, one jot and one tittle shall no wise pass from the law, till all be completed or fulfilled. Wherefore, therefore, shall break one of the least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So he made it perfectly clear that the Passover was not done away with. He did not come to do away with the Passover. I know people incorrectly teach many people, even people, unfortunately, in messianic uh, circles teach that Christ uh, instituted new symbols for Passover and and so forth, and got rid of the old symbols. No, he didn't. He just added to or helped us to understand better what the Passover really represents, the Passover symbols really represent. That's what he did. He didn't do away with the Passover. That's, that, that cannot be proven out of the Scriptures, out of the Old or the New Testament. So anyway, getting back to the point I'm making here. So, Yochanan, uh, or canon, John the Baptist, he stated in John chapter 1, verse 29. John verse 1, verse 29. John 1, verse 29. That the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. That pretty much explains what uh, what this is all about. Uh, 
the Passover really represents, not only it represents the freedom, the liberation of Israel, which represents the, the liberation of slavery to sin for all of mankind through the Jews. Okay, And what they went through is symbolic of what God wants to happen to, the, to everyone. He wants us to be not slaves of sin, but he wants us to be servants of righteousness. And that's what the experience of the Jews in Egypt represented. Now, Egypt, of course, is a type of the world as well. Okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, it states, uh, Your glorying is not good. Know ye that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So just a little sin leavens the whole lump. Verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So Christ, Jesus, was the Passover. That's what the Passover represents, Yeshua Messiah. Verse 8, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And you have people preaching that leaven does not mean sin. It can also mean uh, something that's good, which is true. But in this context, obviously, it's making a dichotomy of leaven being wickedness and then the dichotomy, of course, of unleavened bread, which uh, symbolizes sincerity and truth, which would be the matzos that you get at Kroger's. And eating that symbolizes uh, trying to be righteous, trying to keep the commandments of God. Okay, what else does the matzah represent? All right, let's turn to John chapter 6. I know me and my wife, we uh, attended, uh, we're, we're going to a um, class on uh, Jewish uh, Judaism and so forth, and I know one of them had mentioned, hey, you know, the matzo represents the, the little holes, represents the nails. I haven't heard that, but obviously the matzo does have something to do with Yeshua. I can't deny that. In John chapter 6, starting in verse 25, it states, uh, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto them, Rabbi, when came thou thither? And Jesus verily answered and said unto them, Very verily I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And verse 27, this is some advice we all need to adhere to. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the, that meat which endures for everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you, for him that God has sealed or approved. Verse 28, then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? In verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. And believe is not just say, I believe, I believe. You have to actually really believe him and, and prove it through your works. Verse 30, They said, Therefore, what sign should you, what sign showest thou then that we may see that believe thee, what does thou work? Verse 31, our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, really, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So that's what he is. He, he symbolizes the bread. when The manna that was given to the Jews, that was symbolic of Yeshua uh, feeding you and helping you to become righteous. And so that's, that's what he represents. And if you read the rest of this, he, uh, you, you can tell that the, the matzos represents him, and, and also his blood is symbolic, of course, of, of the lamb's blood, and it's also symbolic of the wine uh, that he talked about uh, in, in what is called the Last Supper. It was a, a type of a Passover Seder or dinner. Um, let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. I don't have too much time here. Hopefully I can get this done. Matthew 26, verse 28, states, in verse 27, well, actually, verse 26, he says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. So the matzo represents his body. Verse 27, and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and said, Drink, ye all of it. Verse 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, or new agreement, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. 
But I say unto you, I will not drink here henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now let's understand, many people misinterpret this and say, well, this is a new commandment. No, this was a new or renewed agreement. The agreement was null and void because the, the nation of Israel throughout history and even currently today refused to, to, to adhere to the terms of the agreement, which is to simply obey God. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, verse 25. Well, Hebrews 9, verse 14 to 15. Hebrews 9, verse 14 to 15 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience or your mind from dead works to serve the living God? That's the reason why we believe in Christ to do something, not to sit around and say, Well, he saved me and I don't have to do nothing but lay back in sin. No, Christ's blood, his sacrifice, through his eternal spirit, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Not to lay around and, and, and say, hey, you know, all I'm going to do is just relax and cruise to heaven. No, that, that's not the way it works. Verse 15, and for this cause he is the mediator of the new agreement, or the new agreement, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first agreement, they which are called might receive the promise of internal inheritance. Internal inheritance, which involves the ability to be able to live forever in mortality as well. All right? Because to be able to inherit something eternally, you have to be living eternally, right? All right, so John 3, verse 14 to 21, of course, um, the most popular scripture in the Bible probably in John 3, verse 16. John 3, verse 16, states, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the reason why he did it. He wants everyone to live eternally. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the combination that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So believing in Yeshua and God has something to do with doing something. <laughs> Verse 20, For everyone that does evil hate of the light, neither cometh to the light, that not his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they might be wrought in God. So, again, that is the purpose uh and then verse 14 of John, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is the reason why the Passover is such an important feast of God. It pictures uh, liberation from the slavery of sin and liberation to be servants of righteousness and to be able to live eternally, serving the living God and serving uh, all of mankind. That is what the Passover pictures, primarily. And you're, you're being protected by Yeshua Messiah when you are granted eternal life. You're, you're protected from death. You're protected from the curses of death. That's what it's all about. And Ezekiel chapter 45 proves that people during the millennium, when, when Yeshua comes back, will be keeping the holy days. In particular, they'll be keeping the Passover. In Ezekiel chapter 45, uh, beginning in verse 21, it states here, In the first month, in the fourteenth day of the month, you shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten. And upon that day shall the prince prepare for himself and for all the people the land of bullock for a sin offering. And seven days of the feast he shall prepare a burnt offering unto the Lord, seven bullocks and seven rams without blemish daily, the seven days and the kid of the goats daily for a sin offering. He shall prepare a meat offering for Epheth for a bullock and an Epheth for a ram and a hen of oil for an Epheth. In the seventh month, well, I'm not going to talk about the seventh month, but uh, that's uh, another holy day that we're going to talk about. But you can see here in Ezekiel 40 to 48 is, is a prophecy of the future uh, that all of mankind will be keeping the the holy days, and, and to prove that as well, in Isaiah chapter 66, which isn't quoted often enough, but Isaiah chapter 66, it states here, in closing here, that 
in verse 22, and verse 23, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, which means uh, that has something to do with the holy days, and from one Shabbat to another shall all flesh, all of mankind, come to worship before me, says the Lord. And what of those who don't do it? Verse 24, and they shall go forth and look upon the bodies or carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm, not them, but their worm, shall not die. In other words, the worm that consumes the body, you'll see many of them doing that. Neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence unto all flesh. So people will be seeing that as they go and celebrate the Feast of God at Jerusalem, where all of mankind will be doing that, or a certain segment of mankind will be doing it in the future. And then they'll get a constant reminder when they see those dead bodies in, in Gehenna, uh, or in a certain area there, uh, that this is what's going to happen to you if you don't obey him. So, so that covers Passover. If you have any other questions or concerns about that, feel free to email me. And until next week, um, may God bless and keep you. And we're going to talk about the Festival of Unleavened Bread next week. Take care. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.